Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from our guest speaker. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app or our website for ways to give. Three minutes. That's not a lot of time, but here we go. All right, you guys ready? So, John chapter 6, you have Jesus preaching a sermon right after he just fed 5,000. The Bible tells us men, but there were also women and children that were present as well because one boy felt like what he had could make a difference. He had five loaves and two fish, and the Lord took it and he blessed it, and he broke them, and he fed a multitude, and this happens a lot, the people begin following him because he met a need. Are you with me? You guys are going to have to interact with me. Please, like, throw things at me if you need to, like, throw a chair, like, throw your hat, I don't care, like, don't, don't sit there and just stare at me, like, okay, like, blink, okay? So, so, here's, here's Jesus, they're following him because he met a need, I get that, right? That's, that's wonderful. But I hope you guys understand this, that the longer you walk with the Lord, at least I'm experiencing this. So I'm 45. Okay, the cat's out of the bag. There you go, 45. If the salt and pepper didn't give it away, now now I just told you. Here's what I have found with God. The longer you walk with him, the more narrow the road gets. And the things you used to get away with, you can't get away with anymore. And it's called being fathered by God. You want that. And a lot of times what we do is we say, well, the spirit was really moving because worship was hype and, you know, words of knowledge were flowing and people were getting healed and delivered. And all that's true. But one of the primary operations of the Holy Spirit, according to John 16, is the conviction that comes into place. And so you'll hear a lot of people say, well, that's just for the unsaved. They need to be convicted of their sin. No, we need to be convicted if we're fooling around. So the older I get, so I've been walking with the Lord since I was 19. I've made tons of mistakes along the way. So do the math on that, 26 years. When I, when I first started out, like, and especially after I got radically filled with the Holy Spirit in December 3rd, 2009, which completely broke a near 20-year addiction to pornography off my life and haven't struggled with it since. Like, listen to me, guys. It's not freedom if you're trying not to do what you want to do. That's not freedom. And I did everything in my natural power not to look at that stuff, and it never worked. Like, it just made it worse, actually. But I thank God that even in the midst of that, even in the throes of that, like, the Lord taught me a principle early on, get good at telling on yourself. And don't ever hide in the dark. Because then the only voice that gets to counsel you is the one that wants to keep you in that dark place. So I could never get into bed at night with my wife if I used it that day and not tell her. And if I'm honest, it's a sign that your heart's alive, which is where I want to go today. Because God forbid, I'm going to be honest, like, because this is where I'm going. So Jesus preached this sermon, and he said, let's eat my flesh and drink my blood. You have no part with me. And they're like, ooh, that's a difficult saying. That's what they said in John 6.60. That's a difficult saying. Who can receive that? And unfortunately, I wish it wasn't this way in the church. Like, I'm, I'm going to probably give a difficult saying today. Because if, 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 we, if, we can, if we can come to church and look no different than the person who stepped in one, something's wrong. And so my, my question today really comes down to this. Are you transformed and how do you know? Are you born again and how do you know? Like, there are certain phrases that we've just grown accustomed to. And things that were holy we treat as common, like that phrase, born again. Like, stop and think about that. Because what that means is the first birth didn't cut it. Something was wrong with it. It's called being born into Adam. It's called, it's called being born into sin. It's called, I want it my way. It's called, when I eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what that ultimately says is, I reserve the right to determine right and wrong for myself. And that's called being God. So what I found in the church is a lot of people love Jesus, the healer, Jesus, the savior, Jesus, the deliverer. But I'm wondering if we love him as Lord and master the same. 
Because that's what he's after. Guys, like, I want to kick off my flip-flops. Like, if you're not going to throw something at me, I'm going to flip the table here in a minute. We forget this sometimes, guys. It's called the gospel of the kingdom. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what it's ultimately saying is we've reduced that word to just change your mind. It's so much more than that in the original language. It actually means to turn from something and unto something. Like, he's the same God. Like, what he's after in the Old Testament, he's after in the New Testament. He's after repentance. He's after obedience. He's after a heart that bows low and recognizes that if there's a kingdom, there's a king. And whether or not we do this today, one day we're going to, according to Philippians 2. And the greatest pleasure of my life, I just saw the camera. Sorry, camera people. They had to shimmy down quick. The greatest privilege of my life, guys, honestly, is that I get to wake up every morning and say, God, I don't want a will of my own. Like to wake up and say, my life's not mine and I offer it to yours. It's called a living, holy sacrifice, according to Romans 12, 2. And being transformed by the renewing of your mind so that we might, might, might what? Prove what the will of God is. But the privilege to say, my life's not mine. And to say, God, do whatever with it that you want. Like, I always tease, I always joke, like, I like some of my toys. I ride Harley Davidson's. Like, if you haven't noticed when I was up there, and the, yeah, come on, amen. So I have a 2005 Heritage Softtail, it's white, it's pearl white. I'm trying to talk Philip into getting one with that leather jacket. We look pretty dope riding together. He's like, listen, Carrie, let's get this bike, right? So, but here's the thing. I've got a snowblower at home. I've got this Arians, like, like remember Tim Allen back in the day? Like, you know, like home improvement. Like, I've got this huge Arian snowblower. I'm like, I'm the cat's meow. People see me come my big orange snowblower down my driveway. Do you know how easy it is to assume you know how to operate that thing? You know how much oil to put in it? You know what caliber or, or uh, grade of gas to put, you know the maintenance schedule. You don't. Maybe you do. Maybe you're a small engines guy. But the people that wrote the book know far more than I do. And when you do it your way, that's when messes happen. That's when fires start. Like, I'm serious. Like, metal's not made for the microwave. We could, you keep doing that. Like, you're going to fry everything. So when you live contrary to the purpose of God, you're jacked up. And if, and if you make life, if you reduce this Christian life to Jesus is just a part of my life, he's an accessory to my life, and he doesn't become my life, you're going to be just as hurt, just as frustrated, just as depressed, and just as anxious as somebody who's never prayed the prayer and said, Jesus, come live in my heart. Because we don't fully, I, I don't know if we sometimes fully realize what's really at stake. And what I'm understanding is God seems to be making this thing really narrow, really single. And really making it all about him. Like, there's a, there's a passage in scripture, you can look it up later, it's 2 Corinthians 11, and Paul's pouring out his heart for the Corinthians. And this is what he says, I am concerned for you with a godly jealousy. And the concern is this, in the same way that Eve was led astray, I'm concerned you're being led astray as people come in your midst and preach a different gospel and a different Jesus. That's what he says, it's in there. The first three verses. And I wrestled with that one day. I'm like, God, what does that mean? Like, how was Eve led astray? And then what I felt like the Lord said, and you please take this, you know, to the Lord yourself. The Bible says in Genesis 3 that Eve saw that the tree was a delight to the eyes, the fruit of it. That the tree was good to make one wise. And that it looked pleasant to eat. It sounds like 1 John 2. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And John wrote, you can't love the world and God. So this is what I felt like the Lord said to me. I could be wrong. The way that Eve was led astray was the enemy showed her what the tree could do for her. And when we only preach a Jesus that says, look what he can do for you rather than change you, transform you, and make you like him, we are setting you up for failure. We are giving you milk and we are not giving you solid food to eat. This is about 
the lordship of Jesus. It is about the coming kingdom. When Christ was born, the king in flesh, this is why he could say and why his cousin John the Baptist preached the same message, the kingdom is at hand, which basically means within reach. It's here. It's now. Now, we live in an odd time where we don't always see everybody we pray for get healed. I don't see every student I minister to get delivered. But I'm trying to the best of my ability to keep my eyes on him. And I understand this tension that we live in where the kingdom is present, but it's still coming. We call it the kingdom now and not yet, if you want to get technical. But one day, that kingdom is really going to come. One day, it will fully be consummated. One day, Jesus will return. And every knee will bow. See, this stuff excites me. Like, I want when he shows up, I don't want to shrink back. I want to be able to say, look at how I stewarded what you gave to me. Like, these parables, like, like the talents and stuff like that, all that stuff's coming alive in a bigger way. Like, the return of Christ is imminent. I'm not here to tell you this is the date it's happening. Like, everybody for the last 2,000 years has been right that he's coming. I mean, honestly, ever since he ascended to the Father and they're sitting there watching him and like they said, hey, in the same way he went up, he's going to come down. That's going to happen one day. Now, we, could, we would all be right in saying, well, it feels pretty close and imminent. And I would agree with that. So now's, now's the time, guys, like to really get your life right with God. So when I first got filled with the Holy Spirit in 2009, like, I mean, and I still do, like, I, I'm like, Man, this thing is real. I don't know about you, but like, I didn't grow up in the church. I had a supernatural encounter with God when I was 19. I all but overdosed on crack cocaine. And long story short, the forgiveness of God hit my life, and I've been changed ever since. And so, yeah, so that's wonderful. But I will tell you this moving forward, that I would have looked at you as a teenager and told you that I believed in God. Now, I want to take a moment and say this and then qualify it mental agreement in God's existence is not transformation how do you know because James said the demons do that so that's demon level stuff to say to say I believe God is real and not have that reflected in your heart is not right something's wrong so I grew up in a home, like my parents divorced when I was eight. My father was very zealous for the Lord. He still is. My mom cheated on my father. My father caught that in real time. He left, and it just set up this microcosm of just brokenness. I watched man after man. My mom lived the woman at the well in real time. She's not that person anymore, but for a season she was. And because of that, you know, you start to feel like, well, I guess, you know, nobody notices me, nobody loves me, coupled with the fact that high school and school in general is just a death sentence. School's really hard because kids are very mean. And so I experienced a lot of rejection in my life, and I always turned to things that made me feel good on the outside because I didn't like who I was on the inside. So cigarette smoking by the time I'm, you know, in middle school was easy. An addiction to pornography by the time you're 10, yeah, that's fine. And selling drugs and full-blown crack addiction by the time you're ready to graduate high school, that was my life. Now, here's the funny thing. My parents told me my whole life I believed. My father said, I led you to the Lord when you were five years old. Maybe he did. I'm not saying, like, regardless, guys, regardless of, and I know this is a theological debate, and this isn't my house, and I'm not looking to put stuff on Pastor Chris and Pastor Nathan to clean up. But what I'm saying is this. If your life does not, listen guys, if you're born again, hear me, you're hardwired to obey God now. Your heart's alive, and the sin you once loved, you hate. And the righteousness you fought against, you want in your life. I'm not talking about being perfect. Because after I got born again, like, I struggled with pornography for another 10 years. Here was the difference. I couldn't look at it and not have my heart break. Why? Because my heart's alive now. But I didn't know any different. When I would look at that, I would go, oh, gosh. And then I felt like I couldn't talk to God till he calmed down. And I have to do, like, a Catholic penance to clean myself up 
so that I'm acceptable again. Well, that's baloney. He's a father that wants to hold you. I just didn't know any different. So my story, aside from the drugs, was I let God save me. I didn't let him love me for a really long time. Because I didn't know how. Because I thought the way you felt about me was who I am. And this is why I'm so passionate about seeing rejection come down in a generation is because rejection from peers leads to self-rejection. We wonder why cutting and suicide is an epidemic. This is why. We wonder why transgenderism is a viable option. Come on, everybody celebrates it. The world thinks it's great. So if you reject me here, I'll go over here. But it's all centered in, I want somebody to see me, love me, pick me, choose me. Like, that's what it all comes down to. But my father would have said to you, Brian's a Christian. Well, I remember, I had memories, guys, of like sitting on my porch. My house was the the safe place to do bad things. It was. It's where we all congregated, and all my friends were just as jacked up and broken as I was. And I remember, like, we would sit sometimes, I'd bring out my Bible, and we would look at passages in Revelation, probably to freak each other out. And I'm sitting there smoking a joint and reading the Bible. Now, how does that work? Because Jesus made a unique comment. He said, you'll know the tree by its... Now, again, I'm not talking about perfection. But I am talking about the transformation of desires. What has my heart... Can, can I sin and get away with it? Because I'm going to tell you this. If we wake up in the morning, wonder how we can sin and get away with it, you're not changed. I'm not looking to work the grace of God to stay the same. No, I want to be holy. I want to, so like, what I was going to say is the longer I walk with God, yes, I'm interested. In, I mean, the moment I got baptized in the spirit, within months, I was on a plane to Mozambique because I wanted to see the dead get raised. That's how I am. I'm a very hungry person. I want to see blind eyes open. I want to see the deaf hear. But I'm telling you, at 45, I'm more interested in what he's doing in me than what he's doing through me. I want his attitude, like Paul says in Philippians 2. I want Christ's humility. I want holiness. I don't want to just sing about it. I want the fear of God to be greater than the fear of man. Because Paul said, am I now trying to please men or am I trying to please God? Because you can't have both. You can't be dualistic in your thinking. But it is not transformation, guys, like if sin doesn't bother us. If we're doing something and hiding something we don't want anybody else to know about because we'd be embarrassed. Or we're just playing the role of, of hypocrite, which is basically the same way of saying it's a play actor. It's wearing a mask. And, and there's a lot of people. Some people might say, why are you preaching a message like this in church? Because... I think there are people in our midst. I see it all the time in youth group. Like, I tell people, I'm like, it doesn't impress me that you're at the event. It doesn't impress me that you go to church every Sunday. It doesn't impress me like that you serve, that you volunteer. What does impress me is, does your heart bow before him? And are you saying, here, take me? Like, I'm not perfect. Like I said, like, for years, guys, for 10 years after I got saved, that stinking thing, that thing called pornography was in my life, and I hated it. That's the sign I was saved. I hated the sin that bound me. So you can be transformed and still in a trespass. But there's nothing natural that's going to work and make it go away. You need the Holy Spirit to break the chains of that thing. So that's why, like, that's why we do preach the gospel. The gospel is not just ask Jesus into your heart. No, the gospel actually saves you. But if I'm going to say yes to the gospel, I got to say no to me. I can't have just enough of Jesus in hopes I go to heaven one day, and you can have this part of me, but everything else is my own. That's not, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and not do what I ask you to do? That's Luke. That's in the Gospel of Luke. Why do you call me Lord and don't obey me? That's heavy. So I am very passionate about making sure, are we preaching the right gospel? Or is there a different gospel, which I believe there is on the earth today? 
and a different Jesus that's being presented 100%. There's a lot of compromise. There's a lot of things going on in the world today, but it doesn't mean we have to cave to it. We have to bow to it in any way. So what's, what's your biblical foundation for this, Brian? Well, I'm glad you asked, because we're going to turn to Matthew 7 really quick. So we'll dig into this a little more, and we'll give you an opportunity here in the end to respond. I've got 12 minutes. I feel like the Lord is adding time. I don't know how he's doing it. But I keep looking at the clock. I'm like, I'm actually doing pretty well. I'm saying a lot in a short period of time. And it's wonderful. That's why I always like to tell places, I wish I had more time with you. I wish I had a weekend just to unpack some of these things. So a lot of you guys will know this, and I love what Chris said in the video earlier about, and Ty was telling me this earlier about, I love the fact that you guys are doing a Jesus school. And if I could be honest, I, I hope other churches in the area find out. And anything that I can do to promote it with my connections, I'm going to do it. Because I agree what Chris said in the video. There is Bible literacy everywhere. And that's a problem, because if you don't have a firm foundation, like right now, like I'm, I'm a doctoral student with Global Awakening. And my project, because if you're a doctor in ministry, you have to do a project. And my project is the role encounters with the Holy Spirit have upon kids struggling with rejection. So I get to test that through surveys and everything else. And I'll be Dr. Brian Connolly in the next year and a half. But one of the things I love about Randy Clark is the fact that, like, he wants us biblically grounded. Like, he wants there to be strong theology. And it's neat to see that coming up again in the church. Because the last thing you want to do, and it's not good exegesis, it's called eisegesis, where you make your Bible say whatever you want it to say. And it's dangerous, I'll tell you this too, it's also dangerous when we read what we believe rather than allowing what we're reading to change what we believe. So rather than spiritualize certain things, let's actually let the word say what it's actually saying. Even if it confronts us, some of you people have probably heard things like this, where it talks about in Hebrews 4.12 that the word of God's alive and active, right? What does it do? It actually divides between joint and marrow. That's pretty deep. Soul and spirit's even deeper. But it says that it might judge and reveal the thoughts and intentions of men and women's hearts, which means the Bible reads you. You don't just read it. It's a confrontation with where you are. And when I look at Jesus, I, I was telling Ty earlier, like, my heart, like, I've just been crying out lately for more. Like, you're blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the kingdom of God belongs to the poor in spirit, to the humble who realize they can't. They need more grace. Grace is only given to the humble. So water always goes to the lowest place. So the lower we go, the more empowerment we get to receive with God. Our salvation starts that way, but your salvation is more than I'm just going to heaven one day. Like, you're justified, you're being sanctified, and one day you're going to be glorified, and it's all the gospel. The return of Christ is the gospel message. Forgiveness for sins is the gospel. Born again is the gospel. Fear of God, holiness, it's all the gospel. But we've reduced it to just say yes to God, ask him into your heart, like, and I'm telling you, there was a guy by the name of Leonard Ravenhill. I don't know if you guys, Chris, did you ever, did you ever, okay. Pastor Chris knows who he is. So I'm dating myself a little bit. So told you I was 45. Leonard Ravenhill said, this is a sharp statement. So I hope you can hear me. It's not my statement, so don't throw stones at me. But Leonard Ravenhill said, and I'm like, ooh, like I'm trying to like, do I really believe that? The sinner's prayer has sent more people to hell than every bar in America. Because we're presenting, and I'm not saying that God doesn't use it. I, I use it. But what I'm saying is when we only present this side that says, just, just come to Jesus. Like, you know, he'll, he'll do all these things for you. Can there be transformation in that? I hope so. But what I'm talking about is if there's, if there's a love for sin in your heart, but outwardly you present something that you're not inwardly, it's off. So when Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 13, this is Sermon on the Mount stuff, he says, enter through the narrow gate. Who's heard that statement before? Okay, well, a lot of times in the American church, we reduce this to just going to heaven. Christ is the way to heaven. He's the only way to the Father. I 100% agree, that's John 14. 
He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. I agree 100%. But this is saying so much more than just that. So this is what we want to deal with in the next eight minutes here. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad. That leads to destruction. What leads to destruction biblically? Yeah, sin, but there's something in particular. It begins with a P. It's pride. What's pride? It is everything that humility and servitude and, and, and honestly submission is against. Pride is it's all about me. It's self-sufficiency. It's self-reliant. It's what we became in the garden. We took on the enemy's nature, which is pride. Like, that's why we must be born again. Like, the greatest sin in the world is not adultery. It's not murder. The greatest sin in the world is I can manage my life without you. It doesn't submit to the lordship of Jesus. Like, you can't call him lord and master and then do whatever you want to do. If he's Lord and Master, it's whatever you ask God. Like, I may not get it right. I may mess it up. I may make mistakes. But he sees the heart behind it. Like, here's the thing. Like, I, when I used to look at pornography, I'm telling you, I would fall apart. I, I couldn't pray for days. And now I understand and I realize, I bet God was more excited that it bothered me than he was frustrated that I was doing it. And that's the same for anybody that struggles with anything in the room. The fact that your heart is alive is a sign that you're saying, like, I wish this wasn't in my life. It is, but I'm on a journey with Christ. We are sanctified through our relationship with the Holy Spirit, it says in 1 Peter 1. Not your, not your effort. You're not trying to be a Christian. Have you ever seen a cherry tree just frustrated to produce cherries? But we, I'm telling you, like, there's a guy that I love named Peter Lewis. He has a ministry called Braveheart Ministries. It's a part of the larger umbrella of Upper Room down in Dallas, Texas. Peter Lewis has a saying. He says, the Lord came to him one day and says, Peter, is there anything that I made that struggles to be what it is? And he had to think about that. He thought about trees. He thought, a cow is not struggling to say moo. Dog's not struggling to bark and wag its tail. And Peter said, you know, Lord, no, everything you made doesn't struggle to be what it is. And the Lord said, oh, yes, but there is one, one facet of my creation that does, and it's called a Christian. And some of that is because we really do care. See, when you really get saved, your heart comes alive, and there's a purity in there, and the enemy knows if he can get you to feel violated, you'll lose your confidence to come before God. Because if your conscience is violated, you don't have confidence. And especially if you don't know him like I didn't, you'll think he's angry with you. But there's not a single one of my children that if they were really struggling and they, they really wanted to do right, that I wouldn't hold in my arms and say, it's okay, we'll figure this out together. And it's amazing how we, and it's all because of our life experience to think that, man, he really cares about my performance. Are you saved under good works? Yes, you are. Like, they are important. You're not saved by them, but you're created. You're his workmanship created for it, Ephesians 2.10 says. But a lot of times, the moment we mess up, like, and the fact that our proximity towards him is based on what I do or what I don't do reveals that I'm still relating by law than I am by his grace. So we don't want to make that mistake. So if that's you in the room where you're like, man, it bothers me that I still have this struggle, your heart's alive. You need to celebrate that. Rather than focusing on what you didn't do, just stop and say, Lord, I am so grateful this grieved me because there was a time it didn't. Thanks for making me alive inside. I give my life to you. I, Father, I need you to hold me right now because I'm having a hard time. I'm having a hard time seeing myself the way you see me. And you want to father me right now. You don't want to shun me. See, it's important that we talk like that. But if you're the person, which is where I'm getting here now in the next three minutes and 43 seconds, where it says, enter through the narrow gate. Guys, why is it narrow? Because you can't come along. You have to die. Like, if you really want him to be Lord, you can't be. So when Jesus is saying in Matthew 16, if anybody wants to follow after me, which we need, our, we need a theology around suffering in the church big time. He says, if anyone wants to follow me, man or woman alike, 
Let him first deny himself, not the devil. Pick up his cross, which means get ready because you're going to be persecuted in the way that I've been persecuted. Maybe not hanging on a cross one day, but you need to be ready for people to treat you unjustly. But it's self-denial. This is the entryway. But if I preach the gospel in a way that highlights everything that he can do for you, and I don't touch on this, it's only a partial gospel, which is really not a gospel at all. A 90% Jesus is 100% not Jesus. So if I don't help you realize and understand, you need to count the cost. If you're saying yes to this thing, you're coming to die so he can live and reign through you. Because heaven's not somewhere we're going one day. Heaven's coming inside and wants to come out of you called Christ in you, the hope of glory. So entering through the narrow gate means I go through a narrow way, which means I step out onto a narrow path. That's today. It's not just for the future. If I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to follow Jesus. So it's so much more than just come in me so that I can go to heaven one day and thank you for the fire insurance. It's greater than that. And there are some people, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3, where some will be saved by the skin of their teeth as though through fire, because one day they're going to find out their works were all about them and they weren't about God. And I don't want that. I don't want that for you. There are award, there, there's rewards in heaven, guys. Some people are going to be closer than others. Some people are going to have more than others. The, the parable of the talents, there's a guy based on his faithfulness with what was given, he's going to rule over 10 cities. Where? Apparently in heaven. Because it's coming here. New heaven, new earth. So stewardship's a big deal. Anyhow, I'm going to fast forward. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And listen to this, guys. We should be concerned by this. There are a few who find it. That should be absolutely concerning to everybody in this room. There are few who find this way. He goes on to say, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Okay, time out. What is a prophet? Somebody who carries the word of God. Let's just simplify it, okay? What makes somebody a false prophet? Because he's making a distinction between something that's outward and inward. A false prophet is somebody who carries a message outwardly that hasn't changed them inwardly. So if you run around screaming you're a Christian and you love Jesus, but when nobody else is looking, you love yourself and you love sin, you're wrong. You're false. Outwardly, sheep's clothing. Inwardly, appetite for self, ravenous wolf. Outwardly, hands raised in worship. Tyler's crushing it this morning. Everybody look at me. I love God. For some of you, if you know who Dan Moeller is, this was his story. And he did damage to his wife because he was one of the biggest hypocrites you ever would have known. And he was in church. Come on, Dr. John, am I telling the truth? Raising his hands, people would come up to his wife and say, your, your husband's the greatest. What a sweet man. And he would get in the car and tear his wife down with his mouth. Be careful. If you're able to come in this room, and I'm not talking about perfection, but if your heart isn't grieved that you take out your anger, your frustration on your kids or your spouse, or you cut people to pieces with your tongue, What's going on inside? Have you just incorporated Jesus into your life or has he become your life? Is he an accessory on your keychain? Is he your screensaver and t-shirt? Because that's, that, I mean, like, and I, I know this church, I know these guys. So when they say a Jesus church, I know what they're saying. That's a catchphrase for a lot of people. And we can have all the right language and not the right heart posture. We need to be very careful. If you can come in here and worship God, and then when no one is looking, be like, yes, here's my chance. I love this. Like, something's off. If you have no problem exaggerating and bending the truth in an effort to be liked, esteemed, seen, like, you might be struggling with that, so don't get me wrong. Like, there was a part of my life that battled that because I was so rejected. 
But in your heart, you know what you're doing. You got to become your own best friend, guys. You got to know the longer you walk with God, it's like, man, what motivates me is what concerns me. So like saying things like, oh God, search me and know my heart, like Psalm 139, 23, like that's, that's a prayer of mine. If there's anything unhealthy in there, any unholy way, God, reveal to me and lead me in your everlasting way. Why? Because I'm scared of God that he's going to smash me? No, but if I really love him, I'm going to obey him. And I don't want to miss it. So anyhow, oh, I'm, too, now I'm a negative two minutes over. Okay, now I'm in the red. So here we go. You will know them by their fruits. Isn't that something? Isn't Jesus simple? What's he saying? Well, just look at their life. Like, don't listen to what they're saying. Watch their life. Actually, it's one of the ways you can test prophecy, too. Is I am more impressed. You know, who, you, know, you know why? I don't even know Chris. You know why I'm instantly kind of drawn to him? Is because I can feel the humility on his life. That's what excites me. I don't need to hear how God's been using you. I just want to know when I'm around you, do I feel Jesus? And his way is meek and his way is humble and it's the greatest lesson he ever taught according to Matthew eleven twenty eight. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am meek and humble in heart. That's the greatest lesson he taught. Is it wrong to be excited about ministry? No, I'm pumped about ministry. I'm pumped that I get to run with Tyler and Philip and these guys. I'm pumped that they get to be part of our events and and stuff. I'm pumped to see a generation change. But when you're not looking, see, there are certain verses I wish were stamped on my eyeballs forever. Here's one. Beware of practicing your righteousness before people. You know how easy that is to do today? I heard Francis Chan give one of the most amazing messages I've heard in the longest time. He said, it's funny that the things we're supposed to be doing in private, we've made public, and the things we're supposed to be doing publicly, we've made in private. Look at all the things I'm doing. Meanwhile, what you're doing in private or what you're doing secretly, nobody's supposed to know about. And it's tough. I get it. It's the tension we live in. Social media is a wonderful thing. We want people to see what we're doing. I mean, we want you to know what our ministry is about. We need people to run with us. But he was saying, like, we're supposed to be confessing sin in public, not hiding it in private. And with everything, certain things are happening right now in the world with certain things like God is bringing things to the surface. That's one thing I, will t I tell people all the time. You will not get away with it. You won't. You know why? Not because he's mad, because he loves you. And he will oppose your pride in hopes it will humble you. Because it's pride if you don't confess. It's pride if you're more concerned about your image than his. So we need to be careful with that stuff. Okay. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit. That sounds logical. Come on. But the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. So like you can't live in that dualistic thing. Like nor can a bad tree produce good or yeah, a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you'll know them by their fruits. Now here's where it gets gnarly. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Like this, this, this is concerning to me. Well, who's saying Lord, Lord? People that are praying to him. People that are worshiping him. People that want his activity in their life. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father. So what does that mean? Because later on here, you're going to see, like, they're going to be like, well, hey, we did all these things. We prophesied, we cast out demons. And he doesn't say you didn't do it. And that's tough because there's a law like faith is a, uh, it's, it's hard to go into. I'm not going to because I'm already over in the red. But let me just say this. It's not about what you do in his name. It's about whether or not you submit to his name. That's what matters. Is does my heart bow low? Or at the end of the day, he says, many of you will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Because there's power in his name. And he won't violate certain things. Like, like it's, there are certain principles, truths in the kingdom that he's not going to override and say, okay, that doesn't work. Like, but it's not, like he's saying, this is a possibility. Do you hear me? It's possible to be doing this and inwardly, it's about you. 
Like when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, if I have all faith so as to move all mountains, the gift of prophecy so as to know all wisdom, the ability to speak in tongues, but I do not have love. He doesn't say you don't have some things. He says you have nothing. Now, I understand we're all on this journey. Believe me, like we're all in process of becoming like him in, in our intimacy with God and in our yieldedness. But like, does, is he Lord? Is he your king? It's his kingdom that we're, going, that we're a part of. Transferred out of this one, Colossians 1, and into this one. Because he goes on to say, and then I will declare, these are the scariest words in your Bible. Come on, we're a Jesus church. This is his words. Then I will declare to them, depart from me. Now here's the, here it is, here's the caveat. You who practice lawlessness. What's he talking about? Well, lawlessness according to 1 John is sin. There's a difference, hear my heart, then I'm going to stop. There's a difference, difference between somebody like me who was addicted to pornography and hated it. I didn't know, I didn't know that my heart was really alive. All I saw was I was measuring myself based on what I was doing and I was disqualifying myself, right? Because a lot of us, we're like, hey, you've been saved. Of course God had grace for you then. Now you know better, come on. How many have ever heard that voice? Come on, you know better by now. You should know better by now. Why is that? Because that's the accuser. Come on, he accuses the brethren. If, come on, he used to do it to me all the time. I can't believe you thought that. You should know better by now. I can't believe you said that. You know better. What's he saying? Like there's something wrong, there's something off, and God's angry and disappointed. Don't you go near, near him because you got to let him cool off a little bit. No, if that's you, if you're the person that's like, man, I've got this thing in my life. I wish it wasn't there. It's there. I hate it. I'm open about it. I'm praying about it, asking God to invade it. I'm not talking to you. Who I am talking to is somebody who inwardly, it's all about you. You know at the end of the day, you're fooling everybody around you, maybe even yourself. Christ really isn't your Lord and Master, and you actually love sin at the end of the day. That's what it means to practice lawlessness. And he's saying, and then he goes on to say to everyone, the storm is coming to the wise and foolish. And what is he ultimately equated to? Obedience. Do you obey God? Or is he just your table waiter? Is he your busboy when you need him to clean up your mess? You know what's weird? He's happy to do that. Or does he have your life? Does God have all of you or does he just have certain parts of you? Because as he comes near, guys, like, and I'm telling you, I, I talk to kids like this. My team will tell you. Like, I preach to the youth like this. Because I don't want them to be uninformed. We go after signs, miracles, wonders, all that stuff, so that they can hear stuff like this and be like, because like my heart's desire is I love watching them get set free. My concern is that they submit to God. And they're like, you can have my whole life. That's salvation, guys. To be saved from yourself is salvation. Saved from pride, saved from self-sufficiency, saved from self-concern, self-righteousness, self-reliance. That's all pride. So I'm, I'm going to end with this. And hey, if nobody responds, fantastic. If some respond, fantastic. But it would be wrong of me to not give you an opportunity. And you'll know, like, if God's thumping your heart, you're like, what are you talking about? It means this. Like, man, I think I ate a little too much chili the night before. No, that's called conviction. I got some indigestion going on. No, God's trying to tap on your shoulder. Because we don't know at the end of the day how much time we do have. And in my heart, I'm an evangelist. Like, in my, in my heart, like, I, I want to see God crash in and I want to see lives changed. But here's the thing. If God's tapping you, if you're like, man, I... I, I need to get right with God. I've been fooling around. You know, the Bible says, there's some scary verses in the Bible where it talks about willful sin. You shouldn't expect salvation, but a terror and the reality of falling into the hands of the living God. So whether or not you're a once saved, always saved guy or, or not, like there are some things in the Bible we have to contend with. And here's what I know. A life of willful disobedience is a problem. 
Because what it's declaring is he's not really my king. I say it with my mouth, but inside it's still about me. If that's you, okay? So I'm going to pray here in a second. And if God's telling you, you need to get up there and give your life to me wholeheartedly. It'll be my joy. And Philip said there are some people here that on the Providence ministry team, you can help. We want to pray with you. And not just say, would you like to lead, would you like Jesus to come into your heart, but to say, would you like to surrender your life to him today? Which is beautiful, because I know this is on the heels of your baptism Sunday. And I'm here to tell you, baptism is more than just, well, that's just an outward reality of an inward thing. No, it's saying, that's a grave and I'm coming to die. And I'm identifying in the death of Christ and in his resurrection, like Romans 6 says. I'm coming to get in. Paul, Paul said that Ananias told him, get in that water, call on the name of the Lord, and wash away your sins. You can't call on his name without saying, like, you're my, you're my God and king. This is the Bible. Do you know what the story of the Bible is? People like, le- like sheep, like Isaiah 53 says, have gone astray. They've, t- they've won their own way. This is the God of the Old Testament, too. It is a lovesick God whose people will not listen. They become stiff-necked and hard-hearted, and they prefer their own way, and so he has to send prophets and judgment to turn them back. It's love that motivates that. And Jesus is the same. And in fact, the standard goes higher. If you ever looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. If you've ever said in your heart, that good-for-nothing brother, it's like committing murder. Why? Because he's more interested in about your heart. Because out of that comes sin, wickedness, thievery. That's what Jesus said. Out of the heart comes adultery. So the heart needs to be yielded, transformed, given over. So let's stand. Let's stand, guys. Father, I went way over. I, please forgive me, guys. Pastor Nathan, if you're watching, forgive me. Here, do me a favor. Go ahead, put your hands on your heart. I'm not trying to rush anything. I, I just want to be obedient. Holy Spirit, I know This can be a hard saying. But God, I want to be faithful to you every step of the way. And I am more interested in transformed lives than having somebody say, that was a good sermon, brother. So Lord, I ask right now, would you search us and know us? Would you reveal to us if we've just been playing the game? If we've been lying? If we've been hiding? if we've had all the right language and all the right outside and all the wrong inside. God, would you search us? And would we be courageous enough to hear you say, you need to get right with me today. Today's your day. Today's your day. Give me your whole heart. Give me all of your life. Submit to my lordship. Submit to my kingship. Life is so much better that way. Because outside of your rule, Father, disaster is waiting. Pride leads to destruction. But humility clothes us with grace. Please help us to humble ourselves today, not be concerned about what anybody else thinks, but to understand that eternity is at stake. Salvation is real. Forgiveness is real. Grace is real. Mercy is real. And Jesus, I pray that if there's anybody in the room that fits what we talked about today, make it uncomfortable for them. Haunt them till you get their whole heart. Thank you for this team. Thank you for Providence, this leadership team. Jesus, would you receive your reward today in souls turned back to you? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here's the deal. I know you probably smell the food out there. Amen. If God is wanting you personally to respond to this message, I want you to come up here. If God is tapping you on the shoulder and is saying, and if nobody does, that's great. That just means you guys are discipling people really well. But if there's somebody in this room that's like, I need to respond to that. I've been fooling around. I've been lying. I've been hiding in the dark. And God is tapping you on the shoulder and saying, today's your day. You need to come get right with me. I want you to come up here. And I'll tell you what, I'll be kind. I'll give you 30 seconds. And I'll stare at you very uncomfortably because I was master's degree in counseling, so I'm very comfortable with, with uh, silence. So here's the deal. 
starting now, 30 seconds to respond. And if not, hallelujah, we'll go eat some bread. We'll go eat some lunch. If that's you, and you know you're fooling around, and Christ really isn't, at the end of the day, Lord and Master of your life. Now, Dustin, I don't believe that's true of you. I think what you're saying is you just want to go deeper. Make sure of what you're saying, because a lot of people would be like, hey, like, I don't know, no. I'm talking about people who aren't really genuinely born again. I know some of these guys. Like, I know the knights. I know where their hearts are and stuff like this. I'm talking like, if you are not genuinely born again and you know it, then we want you to come up here. If what they're doing is, is saying, I just want to go deeper with God, amen. If they're saying, I just want to rededicate, amen, wonderful. Oh, you guys are the ministry team. That's why you came. Okay. I'm like, those knights, they're in some willful sin, man. You got to get them saved. That's not true. So what does it look like? Well, it looks like just leading them in a prayer. It says, God, I give you my life. Today, I repent from running and reigning my own world, my own life. And I lay down what was never mine to begin with. And I submit it wholeheartedly to your lordship and ask that you'd be not just my savior, but my master as well. Invade me. That's what it looks like. And I love what I'm seeing up here. Come Holy Spirit. And you can keep responding. Listen, guys, even though the 30 seconds is up and it was up probably about 30 seconds ago. If God's thumping your heart, get up here. Please get up here. I'm going to turn it over to either Pastor Chris or Tyler. Who is it? Is it Tyler? Okay. And then tonight, we are going to see God crash in. And some of you are like, man, I wish I could come. Too bad. You should have been 18 and younger, okay? Here you go, Tyler. Thanks for checking out our Sermon of the Week. If you have questions or would like to get connected, download our app or visit us at providencecommunity.org.